are back with another edition of Behind the Yellow Line Baseball Podcast. We're talking Cubs baseball today. We're talking rule changes. We got some minor league baseball news for you as well. Welcome in episode number 82. You can find us on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. Full crew tonight, Jeremy at the helm, Randall here as well. Uh, Got to be honest, guys, Cubs aren't playing very good baseball these days. They've lost four straight series. They've dropped to 57 and 80 on the season. So they're on pace right now for about 67 wins. And uh, of all of the losses, including the sweep this past weekend in St. Louis, the one today really sucked, especially bullpen blew it late one run in the eighth, two in the ninth. They dropped the series to Cincinnati. It's all relative, right? We know this is a lost season and all that, but this is a particularly annoying loss in this 2022 season game. They should have won today against the Reds. Well, these are top shelf hitters that the Cubs bullpen struggled against today. I mean, a lot of teams would have trouble with Alejo Lopez and a a much de-improved, I don't know what word I'm looking for here, whatever the opposite of improved is, a much de-improved Jonathan India. It's a, it's a, a tough loss. You didn't do good work against some pretty awful hitters today. Yeah, it was definitely a tough loss, uh, you know, and it was kind of a, a frustrating game. I mean, cause you had certain things. I mean, the Cubs didn't have a hit to the fifth inning until uh, Nico yep. triple and uh, you had certain things kind of go their way. Say I had a couple, you know, spots where you came up, although one was kind of a terrible misplay in center field. Um, but uh, yeah, disappointing loss, you know, the Cubs bullpen, you know, they traded away most of their top relievers. So uh, you're going to go through some troubles, but for the most part, Adrian Sampson, you know, pitched pretty well. He's doing what he's been doing. And uh, it's it just not not a good time right now to be a Cubs fan if you're looking for wins. Yeah, it's been a difficult stretch for them. They were playing pretty decent baseball there through the middle of August and the last three weeks or so. It, ha- it has been rough. And anytime you get swept against the Cardinals, that especially sucks. Uh, but today was an annoying one uh, in a sea of what's going to be at least 90 losses this year for the Cubs. Uh, it got me thinking, though, about Rowan Wick. About a month ago on this podcast, I asked you both, Rowan Wick, what do we think? He's kind of having a so-so year. I was sort of surprised you were both pretty up on him still. Here we are a month later. I want to ask again. And the reason why I'm asking again is I got some serious concerns about Rowan Wick these days. And I do think he's been a disappointment this year. This is a guy who's got a lot of years under his belt. We were expecting big things. He's been pretty bad. Am I overreacting or am I right to kind of lose faith in Rowan Wick? I don't think you're overreacting. I think that as you take these final two months to evaluate who is worth an additional look next year. I think Rowan Wick has sort of pitched himself out of that guaranteed spot. I'm not saying to jettison him. Relievers are volatile month to month, week to week, year to year. A bad Rowan Wick this year could still be very good next year, but I don't think he is necessarily guaranteed a spot, much less a a closer or a setup spot right out of the gate next season with the way he struggled these past couple of months. I think, I mean, yeah, he's been, he's been not good. He has not been, uh, very good. And, and to me personally, I, I, I think, you know, he, he pitched pretty fine um, these past couple of years, but I, I never really saw him as like an elite reliever. So he hasn't really been pitching that great this season. So yeah, I kind of have to agree with you guys in saying that, you know, there's some other guys there that'll, that have been kind of showing out a little more, but you know, he, he still has, you know, some ability with his curveball that the Cubs taught him knuckle curve. And so, so I, I still think, as Randall said, you you keep him around. You see what you see what's there. You know, I'm not saying like as you as you said to jettison 
him. But uh, yeah, he's been pretty poor this season. So there's really not much to go on. And, and I would probably I would agree with you that there's got to be definitely guys ahead of him in the queue. And as the Cubs have done an effective job in bringing in guys and finding arms to work in the bullpen, it's got to be a priority again, not a priority in the sense that it's the most important thing for them to do this offseason. Just bring in another slate of arms. Let's see who's going to work. But ultimately, it's just been disappointing with Rowan because he's been this consistent, solid arm the last three years or so. And for him to be as pitching as poorly as he has been, it just feels like a big step back. He's young. He doesn't cost much. I'm Again, I'm not advocating for them to boot him in the offseason. It's just you got to go in not necessarily thinking this is a reliable guy because he hasn't been reliable this year. One thing he's always kind of struggled with, he's always kind of struggled with his command. He's never been a guy, he walks a few batters. Like he's never been a guy that's not going to put guys on base. And this year he's getting hit hard. So those runs are coming in to score the guys he's putting on base. So that's something that he's always kind of struggled with. And that's always kind of, in my opinion, kind of kept him from being like a top tier elite relief pitcher. So it's unfortunate that now he's being hit hard and those are scoring and and relievers are volatile, so you don't know. Like maybe this, maybe this is kind of the end of it for Rowan Wick. But uh, right now, the Cubs obviously they got a lot of open spots and a lot of innings to throw. So you're going to see more of him at the end of this year, and so maybe he could turn it around. Yeah, totally. And uh, low risk either way. We want to see if there's something there. The alarming thing I think with him as well has been the strikeouts being down. He's down almost two Ks per nine innings from last year to this year. Uh, This is also the most innings that he's pitched in a year. So maybe he's just been exposed more. All of the things that you got to figure out there, but it's been on my mind and it was tough to see that happen today. He struggled, Mark Leiter struggled, and then um, some wonky defense too. Uh, Sam, the center fielder, misplaying a ball that ended up kind of scooting through them and getting to the wall. So annoying, right? You get blown out yesterday by the Reds. You lose a game today you think you're supposed to win. Let's get away from the negative for a minute. Let's go back to Tuesday night. Lots to celebrate there as a Cubs fan. We have been anticipating a couple of these minor league pitchers coming up and contributing and Randall, what we saw Tuesday night was one of the more badass moments of this season. You know, the scouting reports on Wisniewski, the video, the, the people who see him pitch, they all talk about one pitch and that's the slider. And yeah. it was on display Tuesday night. His first major league strikeout came on that slider, fantastic movement, right-handed batter swing. And it's already, uh, it's already outside the batter's box as advertised from Hayden Wisniewski. They talk about the slider and the slider was on full display Tuesday night. That was a fun five innings to watch. I thought it was interesting how the Cubs brought him in, you know, they brought him in the fifth, they brought him in out of the bullpen and then they let him go. They let him pitch those final five innings. I mean, he was dominant, so they might as well just let him eat it. But I I didn't, I don't know if that was part of their plan to just let him see how long he could, he could go in that spot. But like when they brought him in the fifth inning, I didn't expect him to finish out the game at that point and yeah he looked pretty good um i was pretty impressed with this changeup. he only threw a, a couple of them but i thought they were pretty um nice pitches and it was an exciting night you see a guy like that come up he didn't allow any hits until his fifth inning of work he he had eight strikeouts in five innings one walk i believe like i you really can't script a better you know first game i guess because it wasn't a start first game uh for a young pitcher coming up from triple a you know, I, I I don't have any inside information here. I do think they planned it. They called Wisniewski up the same day they activated Miley off the IL. They knew Miley was going to be on 
a pretty limited pitch count. It was 60 to 65 pitches for Miley. And they had been pitching Wisniewski out of the bullpen at AAA Iowa in these long relief stints. So I do think they probably had a notion of let Miley go as long as you feel like he can within that pitch count and then just bring in Wisniewski to clean up after that. So I do think they had it planned that way. And fortunately for them, it, it worked out perfectly. So Wisniewski, a great, a great major league debut, a great start in relief. If we had, you know, if he had started the game and given us uh, five shutout innings with eight strikeouts, we would have been talking about, wow, what a great start that was. But it, it was just dazzling seeing him going out there and cutting through even a bad Reds lineup with no difficulty whatsoever. Well, I got to tell you that quite the shock that I had. Uh, I was at an event Tuesday night. I saw my phone just before the event started. I saw he was coming in and I thought, okay, interesting. Major League debut. This is the guy you've had a lot of hype around. And there are so many unanswered questions in the starting rotation for next year that anytime any of these guys take the mound, you've got my attention. So I'm at the event, get out around midnight or so, look at my phone and it was like, holy crap. Like, this isn't just a major league debut or a Cubs debut. Talk about a statement. So just one of those things where you get home late, you ended up not being able to watch the game live, and I'm pulling up MLB because I have to see some of these pitches. And Randall, I'm not talking about arm slot. I'm not talking about build. I'm just saying the slider. First thing I thought was Carmos Marmel. And the feeling that I got the first time I saw him throw a slider, it blew me away. Awesome to see those highlights Tuesday. Yeah, his slider is shaped a little bit differently. Marmol's was more of a kind of a fall off the table slider. Uh, Wesneski slider, it, it completely takes a left turn away from the, a right-handed batter. So the slider is shaped a little differently, but certainly when you think of a Cubs pitcher with a wicked wipeout slider, you go back to Carlos Marmol. Um, I hope Wesneski's Cubs career is maybe a little bit longer then Carlos Marmols, he, you know, he flamed out not too long after he came on the scene the way he did. But yeah, when you think slider and you think Cubs, you think Marmol and add, add West Nesky's slider to that slider menu. You go through the White Castle drive-thru uh, up in the, up by the state line at midnight and you get yourself a few sliders. We've done that a few times. I am a bit curious to know what like his future kind of role is going to be. I mean, I, I mean, we all hope obviously that he's a, a starter and, and, a very successful one, but you know, he's pretty funky and coming out of the bullpen. I, I don't know. Like I, I do kind of question how durable he is with the way he pitches and that I could kind of see him kind of morphing more into a bullpen arm, mm -hmm. especially coming out. And I think, and you know, they, not, not that they brought him out of the bullpen now to, to set that up. I don't think that's necessarily the plan, but I, 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 I it's something to me that I could kind of see happening and so I, I do, when I watched him pitch on Tuesday, I did see a little skepticism by thinking like, I don't know if this is kind of a guy that's going to be durable long enough to go to pitch, um, go deep into games like this. Yeah. I'd, I'd say if there's maybe one kind of fly in the ointment here, it's that the Cubs have brought up another guy where you're thinking, okay, there, there's clearly a major league pitch repertoire here. The question is, is he going to be a long-term starting pitcher or is he, may be destined to be like a two or three inning guy. And I think you potentially already have that question with Albert Alzali, who we hope uh, pitches, you know, at least a few innings for the big league Cubs. You potentially have that question for Keegan Thompson. I, I tend to think Justin Steele has probably proved that he at least deserves a shot to stay in the rotation long-term, but that's, you know, three guys now in Wesneski, Alzali, Thompson, who you wonder 
do they have the durability? Do they have the ability to be a, a six inning starting pitcher? Or are you better served pitching these guys in two to three inning bursts, two to three times a week? So I'd say that's the only downside is you have another pitcher kind of cast in the same mold. And you can only have so many like long relievers in a bullpen um, just because you're going to need guys who pitch in short relief. And there's only so many innings to go around. So I'd say that's the, the one issue. But that doesn't take away from five shutout innings with eight strikeouts in your major league debut. Well, I wasn't necessarily talking about Wesneski being a long reliever. Like I could totally see him being a short reliever. I could totally see him and that may, an that eight may be the inning guy as a little wipeout slider. Like you're talking about Carlos Marmol. I could totally see who came up as a starter. Uh, I could totally see that. So like I, I don't think like just because a guy comes up a starter, that automatically like he's a two-three inning guy. You can morph these guys and especially their pit, their stuff will play up in, in shorter stints. So and you're I don't, you're I don't really wrong. see that as a problem. You're certainly not wrong. Marmol, I think, came up as a kind of a longer guy. I don't know if he started in the minors, but I do well, think he started he, in the majors. Well, okay, so precisely there we go. So Marmol is a guy who had starting in his past before they converted him to the short burst reliever. And if that's the case, that's okay too. The fastball on Wisniewski, it sits 93-94. I think we saw him hit 96 on one fastball. That may have been a hot gun. That may have been the hot TV gun, whatever. But maybe if you pitch him in these short bursts, that fastball plays up. If you've got a 95-mile-an-hour fastball, if you've got that wipeout slider, and you've got a changeup that isn't a complete waste pitch, that's a very good major league reliever potentially. So that's the question, ongoing question for the player development and the pitching staff and Craig Breslow and his big pitching brain is what do you do with a guy with this ability and this pitch repertoire? How does he best help the organization? And that's the ongoing question with any pitcher and especially with a guy like Wisniewski. You know, who else came up as a starter. Kyle Farnsworth. Uh, of course. Of course. I was thinking Farnsy, but Marshall. Yeah. Also uh, came up as a defensive oh, end. I, I just remember in 06, they brought up all these guys, Mitre, Marshall, Marmol. Yeah. They were all starting and like half of them ended up in the bullpen. Yeah. Well, that's what happens, you know, and, and obviously the Cubs need to get some starting pitching into the mix for next year. And I'm talking externally, uh, free agent trade, whatever you got to do there. That I think is the biggest priority, maybe a slugger, but you, you got to get a top of the line starting pitcher. If you're serious about winning next year, beyond that, keep piling on these arms, the Thompson's, this guy, Assad. I mean, any of these guys, right? Just keep piling them on. It's going to work itself out. You're going to have innings to fill there. And I'm really excited, though, overall with the state of the pitching. I was, you know, bitching a minute ago about Rowan Wick and uh, with the way the bullpen has gone here. But overall, there are some truly interesting arms here that if they can supplement it externally, I think pitching very likely is going to be a strength for the Cubs next year. I agree. I, I think the key is to bring as many of these guys as you can. Like not one, like we all want, you know, each individual guy to be successful, but they're all going to fill out in whatever role they end up being. Like I, I want Hayden was, was Nesky to be a great starter, but maybe he doesn't, maybe he is. And he fills it up. But if you bring up like, you know, 10 of these guys, one of them's going to be that guy. And one of them's going to be a, a good, a solid middle reliever. And one of them's going to be, might even be an elite back end reliever. And one of them might not even make like end up in the majors, but like, that's what you have to do. That's the key. It's you can't put all like your eggs in one bucket. You just got to have to keep like, as Dio talked about Jed, when they first got hired, you want waves and waves of these guys. And unfortunately yeah. that didn't quite happen, but like as many of these guys as you can get, that's what the Dodgers do. That's what, you know, the Astros do, the Rays do. That's why they're so good year after the year. Absolutely. You don't want 
quantity over quality, but it's perfectly okay, okay to go through quantity to get quality. Keep, like you said, keep bringing up as many of these guys as you have. Keep throwing these eggs at the wall and seeing what eggs don't really stick to the wall, but keep seeing who works out. You, you can never bring up too many minor league pitchers to see who can help your team at the major league level. There's absolutely no limit on that. There's no cap on that. Keep doing it until you find useful major league contributors in, in every facet of pitching. Well, another guy I want to talk about on the other side of things, uh, a hitter, but want to talk more about his defense, Ian Happ. Amazing plays in the field today. He's jumping into a wall in left field. He's diving all across the outfield. Ian Happ, gold glove. Jeremy, how does that sound? Uh, I would probably sell on that. I don't think that's going to no. happen. But no, I mean, he makes some. he's made some good plays, but I, I just don't see him as like an elite defensive outfielder, in my opinion. I think he's improved a lot on making some of the more difficult plays. I think his uh, his routes maybe on certain balls still leaves a little bit to be desired, but they've talked about it on the broadcast plenty. I think he's helped a lot, A, by moving to a corner instead of trying to make him into a center fielder, which I don't think he is long-term. And I think not having to move around the outfield has uh, helped him a great deal as well. So I'm, I'm going to agree with Jeremy. I, I don't know that I necessarily call him a gold lover, but gold gloves don't mean anything. It's a completely meaningless award, unless a player I like win ones, wins one, in which case it's a prestigious award. Uh, so I don't know that I would necessarily call him a gold glover, but I'm perfectly okay calling him a vastly improved corner outfielder who's, for the most part, not going to embarrass you out there and he's going to make every play you need him to make. Yeah, I think I agree with you, Randall. I think he's been very solid. I think he's been a very good player in left field. Like, I, I think he's been the Ian Happ we wanted to be basically all the season. He's an all-star level player. I just, for me, I, I, and I'm not trying to be, like, dismissive or anything, because I think he's actually been very, he made some great plays. He's made some, you know, he made a ton of improvement as how he is. He's perfectly fine. I just, I just don't know if he's, like, at that gold glove level. And, I, and I'm, well, I'm not necessarily talking about the award. I'm just talking about, like, the elite left field players like I think of that as like a, as a gold glover and I just don't know if like to me Ian Happ's that guy I'm shocked and I'm disappointed in both of you Ian Happ oh, well. came into today 10 defensive runs saved in left field he's among all the leaders in the National League of left fielders I who's the better defensive left fielder in the NL right now I think this is the guy that will win the gold glove for the Cubs and not a certain infielder that maybe both of you are a little higher on but who who would you put ahead of Ian Happ in left field right now. Well, that would require me to name like good defensive left fielders. You don't think of left field as being a great defensive position. I, 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 I'm saying I think Ian Happ has a very, very good chance of bringing that home this year in the National League. And here's the other reality about the gold glove. And I think this is the thing that's going to hurt Nico in his bid for it is while it is technically a defensive award, being good on offense seems to help people with regards to this award. So I think Nico's got a bigger battle there with regards to Dansby. And I think Ian Happ's the guy in left field. I'm surprised you guys aren't on board with that. I will say, I think both guys are going to end up as finalists, the way they, they name the three finalists for each position at the gold glove. I do think all three of them are or not all three of them. Both of them are going to find themselves among the three finalists and ESPN is going to make us tune in to the, the Gold Glove Reveal Show presented by Rawlings, presented by Pepsi, presented by Capital One uh, to find out. So I do think they will get recognition in that regard. I just think it's, like you said, such a, um, unfortunately, an offensively correlated award and such a name award being voted upon by the coaches and the players that the two of them will be 
uh, boxed out by some bigger name, but I do think they will get some recognition as finalists for whatever that's worth, which is not much. I do think they'll get some recognition. I think, I think the guy that wins it, you're going to be mad at me, but I think it's going to be the guy who's won it the last two years. It's Tyler O'Neill. Okay. Well, well he's, see. he's I, been playing mostly center field because Dylan Carlson is both bad and hurt. So Tyler O'Neill has been playing mostly center field and unlike in the distant past, the outfield gold glove is not position agnostic anymore. They do award it for left well, field center he's field. He's played right 80 field. games in left field this year and 15 games in center yeah, field. Yeah, you know what? It, it's Tyler O'Neill. Any yeah. any attention paid to Tyler O'Neill is too much attention paid to uh, But maybe he hasn't played enough games. I mean, he's only played, maybe, he's maybe. Only played uh, you know, he's been hurt a lot of the year. So I, I will go on the record as saying I am perfectly willing to say they'll both get recognition of some sort as finalists or something like that. I don't know that either one has enough of a name to win it, but I said that about Ian Happ's uh, all-star viability and I was proven wrong there too. Yeah. So we'll see. Look, one thing we all wanted coming into the year, and we named this back at the beginning of the season during uh, spring training, who is like the most important guy to the Cubs getting things right this year. And Ian Happ was up near the top. We've been waiting for this breakout season, regardless whether or not he wins a gold glove. This is the season we've been waiting for from Ian Happ. They didn't trade him. He's back, at least going into the offseason. He's the Cubs left fielder. Every indication is they're going to go into next year with him starting in left field. And it, that's kind of exciting. So, because I thought he was gone. I thought for sure he was going to be gone at the trade deadline. They didn't like what was coming back. He's put together a wonderful offensive season with a much improved defensive year. And we'll see what he does here. We've got less than a month to go this season. So I'm going to make the most of these Ian Happ diving catches. He was fun to watch out there today. You thought, thought he was going to be selling his artisan coffee in some yeah. other city's artisanal coffee shops. I like him, you know, and that's the thing too. I know we've talked about this. I don't want to go down this road too much. He just missed the title, right? That sits with me so much. Like a lot of people, I think, think of Ian Happ as always kind of part of that core with Javi and Rizzo and all those guys. No, he came after. He missed the World Series. He's been on some good Cubs teams, but he doesn't have the ring. And that would suck to have all these years in Chicago on some great teams but not a chance to have the jewelry. And right now Ian Hap's on the outside of that. I'll always remember a, a crowd asking Schwarber and Hap to show them their World Series rings and Schwarber breaks his out and Hap just kind of looks around sheepishly and then looks down at his, his very nice tailored shoes. Yeah. Well, uh, we're pulling for you, Ian. We'll see where that goes. Uh, as we get closer to the end of the season, we'll make some predictions here on who's going to win the MVP, the Cy Young, all that stuff. We'll revisit our preseason picks Woof, boys, we got some misses in there. Uh, Anaheim, uh, Boston, among others that we were all off with. And I'm very intrigued. I, it's driving Randall crazy. I'm getting to the point I'm starting to drive Jeremy crazy. I'm very intrigued by this American League Central battle with a month to go because no one wants it. And three teams are right in the middle of it. And there's no wild card coming out of the Central. So that's going to be entertaining baseball. Well, the, the crypt keeper is, is coming back from his crypt next week. So I don't, I don't oh. think we need to worry about that too much. Yes. Uh, just in case anyone's not, not aware of what euphemism I'm dropping here. It does sound like Tony La Russa will be returning from his health hiatus and uh, relegating Miguel Cairo, former Cub Miguel Cairo back to his bench coach duties. Mm. Uh, probably not a coincidence that the White Sox picked it up and started winning as soon as Tony La Russa uh, was removed from the dugout for health reasons. Well, that's former Cub Tony LaRusso to you. I suppose um, it is. But but uh, one thing I do want to know, and I do think that's a very interesting uh, battle because because they're all playing each other too a lot. There's like yeah, even they're playing like 
I just just looking at the schedule the other day, and be, this is all because because of the lockout. The Indians end this season with a six-game homestand against the Kansas City Royals. Wow. And they have a five-game homestand earlier in the month in September with the Minnesota Twins. But they end the year six straight home games against the Kansas City Royals. How insane is that? Uh, I think it's the Cardinals, no double header. have six with Pittsburgh to end the year. I mean, the Cardinals have the division, right? Milwaukee's right. falling apart. But what a like... waste of time and effort the Milwaukee Brewers are. <laughs> It's just, it is crazy. And it is something that uh, uh, it's unfortunate. And all of this could have been avoided. We could have had a normal season. We didn't need that delay at the beginning of the year. But that's a good point, uh, Jeremy, between Pittsburgh and St. Louis. But the Cardinals have the NL Central. We'll see what happens in the AL Central. Uh, Let's go back to the Cubs for a minute. And then there's a whole bunch of MLB news that I want to get your guys' thoughts on. Cubs are staying home this weekend. It's going to be an interesting weekend at Wrigley Field. you got the San Francisco Giants coming into town. Hall of Fame induction for the Cubs is taking place this weekend. Then Randall's favorite thing, Sunday night baseball, right? <laughs> Giants-Cubs, Sunday night baseball now. What are we doing here? I mean, look, everybody's going to be watching Sunday night football that isn't a Cubs fan or a diehard Giants fan, but good God. Why are these two teams on Sunday Night Baseball? Well, game of the week today was Reds. I mean, I know it was YouTube, but they're like MLB Game of the Week, Reds versus Cubs. And I'm God. like, well, Field of Dreams game too, I guess. But they kept saying Four Game words. of the Week. Four words. Nobody asked for this. Well, it makes things a bit tougher for the Cubs too because they've got no off day Monday and they're on the road in New York against the Mets Monday night. Let's take a quick look at weather and then we'll get some thoughts on the next six games here for the Cubs. But Randall, what do we have from our friends at Cubs Weather? Well, we are very happy to have Cubs Weather back with us, provided to us by Alexander Hall. Find him on Twitter at Alexander Hall. Find Cubs Weather on Twitter at Cubs Weather versus the visiting San Francisco Giants. The series vibe is a couple of warm week one NFL type nice days, followed by the beginning of a cool down toward even more comfortable fall temps. Some of my favorite words. I love fall weather. Friday is a 305 start. That is different. It is will be 80 degrees and sunny, not too humid, pretty warm in the sun with a light wind, 5 to 15 miles per hour, variable in direction. Saturday, the traditional 1.20 p.m. start. It will be 80 degrees again, partly cloudy, a little bit muggier, pretty warm if you're in the sun, and the winds will again be light and variable. And then Sunday night, uh, 7.08 p.m., courtesy of ESPN, it will cool off a bit. Uh, quite a bit into low 60s, right around 63 degrees, according to Alex. Breezy winds in from left field and center field, mostly cloudy with a slight chance for showers. The Cubs then go on the road to City Field, the home of Mr. Met, Mrs. Met, and all sorts of baby trumpets. The system that moves through Chicago on Sunday will take its sweet time on I-80, keeping New York in a cloudy, muggy, but not hot air mass with daily chances for showers. And a muggy air mass is generally what I think of when I think of the Mets and their fans. They're all very muggy. Monday will be a 6.05 p.m. Central Time start, 73 degrees at game time, mostly cloudy with a slight chance for showers and a light wind blowing out to left field at City Field. Tuesday night will also be uh, right around the same conditions, right around the 73 degrees with a coin flip chance for showers and another light wind blowing out to left field. And then finally, Wednesday night, very similar conditions, same temperature, uh, another slight chance for showers with the light wind changing things up and blowing out to right field. So thank you, as always, to at Alexander Hall and at Cubs Weather, the account that Alexander runs with two other wonderful individuals, Colin and Andrew. Find them on Twitter at Cubs Weather for all of your Cubs Weather needs, whether you are watching 
watching on TV or heading to any one of the ballparks, they have you covered to know if the game's going to start on time, what the weather's going to be like, whether there's going to be a delay, any questions you have, they're happy to answer. So find them on Twitter. Yeah, really good stuff there. And uh, I'm with you, Randall. I do love the fall weather. We're actually getting a little bit of a taste of it this weekend here in Denver. Very much on board with that. I imagine the late start tomorrow at Wrigley, and I haven't seen an official announcement if I missed it. There's just a lot going on right now. Uh, Brewers are playing a doubleheader against San Francisco today. So I think that maybe because of that, even though it's a short trip from Milwaukee down to Chicago, you push back the start of the game tomorrow. It's going to help attendance, you imagine, at Wrigley Field. So I think that's maybe the late start on Friday. But I missed the 220s. It's going to enable more people to... It's going to enable more people to get to the game and claim that sweet, sweet Bud Friday fanny pack. There we go. Ah, don't knock the fanny packs. I I see a picture of it right here. It is uh, a wonderful neon pink with some white and some blue. It's got that great Chicago word mark with the Cubs bullseye logo in the place of the second C. Uh, Yeah. If I were, if, you know, if I had the, the ability, I would be one of the first 5,000 early arriving fans in the Budweiser bleachers ages 21 and up to claim that Bud Friday <laughs> fanny pack. I, look, efficiency. You're a cargo pants man, Randall. Cargo shorts, man. I would think you'd be on board with the fanny pack. Well, Randall, I, I have the pockets. Why do I need the fanny pack? There's always more maps and guides and things you need when you head out Devices. to the ballpark. Saturday. Potions and swords and bow and arrow. You mm-hmm. were telling us you were possibly going to the Cubs this weekend. Is that that will not be happening this ah. weekend. Other things going on. I am going to make an effort to get out there next Saturday, which happens to be Marcus Stroman bobblehead day. And personally, I will I will take that. This Saturday is Nico Horner bobblehead day. That's two good bobblehead Saturdays in a row. Uh, but no, I will not be out there this weekend. I am going to make an effort to get out there next weekend. Knock on wood, hoping I'm able to do that. Question for you both, and I want to make sure I phrase this right. I don't think this is particularly surprising. I think we all sort of had them taking a step back, but how disappointing. You win 107 games last year, the San Francisco Giants. They're not going to win half their games this year. So wheels completely fell off there in the Bay. There's yeah. zero, zero surprise. We all knew that team was playing way over its head. I mean, way, way above water. And that's no mean feat when you play on the Bay like they do. Uh, Yeah, I I think we all saw a regression coming. Um, You can certainly argue as to how much regression you expected, but this team not being nearly as good as last year's, I don't think surprises anyone. Yeah, I mean, you you expected uh, a regression, you know, they obviously over uh, output, but I I do think like I thought they would be a little more competitive than this than they are this year, especially with the um, the the 16 playoff now in each league. I thought, you know, they'd be kind of fighting for it at the end. I didn't think they'd be out of it so i i you know losing buster posey that was a huge deal to them of course um they do you know have have joey bard who was coming up you know to be the replacement but um yeah i thought i i didn't think they'd be quite six games under 500 now let's talk about the other team the cubs are playing in the stretch here you go to new york the mets have been just an up and down bizarre team this year. They're currently still in first in the National League East, but just a half game lead over the suddenly surging Atlanta Braves. Um, who takes the East here? Mets, Braves. This is a huge series for the New York Mets. The answer is the Braves. Never, never bet on the Mets, ever. Fred Flintstone taught me don't bet on the races. Ron Santo taught me don't bet on the Mets, ever. So I, I will take the Braves in this particular uh, wager. 
it's it's hard for me. I feel like when I see the Mets, I see like such a good team, and the Braves are a really good team too. I don't even remember yep. who I picked, to be honest. Out of coming out of that, I knew it was probably either the Braves or the Mets who I picked coming out of the division, and I'm sure we'll find out sooner than soon enough. But uh, I don't know. Degrom's healthy, right? Supposedly, so I'm going to go with the Mets. I'm going to say that uh, their pitching just does it because they have such good pitching. Strather, Scherzer, Scherzer on the IL though. That's not going to help. It's not going to help, but he's going to come back. Well, I wanted to ask you guys about this too. Edwin Diaz, the closer for the Mets, uh, one of the fun storylines maybe in baseball this year has been all the excitement about his entrance at City Field. And if you don't know what we're talking about, just go online, type in Edwin Diaz uh, entrance or whatever trumpet. you want to call it. There's Edwin videos. Diaz trumpet. That's all you need. Do you like it? Do you like the trumpet thing? Or yeah, Randall shaking his hat. Oh, I think that's I, a no. I, I hate that I like it, but I do like it. Uh, okay. Ron Santo is rolling in his grave. He's looking down on me from on high and going, gee whiz, Patrick. But I do like it. it it's neat. It's fun. Uh, walk-in music for a closer is one of the great parts of the mystique of the game. How many Hall of Fame closers can you instantly name their, their signature entrance song? And to have that played, to, to have it have this, this real nice instrumental solo as part of it, and then to have that played live in the ballpark, that's really neat. I just hate that it's the Mets. You give me let, let the Cubs develop or acquire a lockdown closer with great entrance music. Do it, and I will be all for it. As it is, I love it. I just hate that it's the Mets. Yeah, well, you know, the Cubs had a Kimbrel with the, the Guns N' Roses. They and did. Chad, they did. Chadman had some lockdown music. Um, so they've had their, they've had their guys, but uh, yeah, I, I thought it's fun. You know, you see it; it's it's cool. It's cool. You know, the whole stadium's into it. They, as Randall said, they had a live performance the other day. Uh, Tony Trumpet, I believe, is his name. He came Timmy, all the way up. Tommy, Timmy, Timmy Trumpet. Tommy, 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 Timmy, Tony. Timmy Trumpet. I don't know the name. I <laughs> yeah. think he's he's Timmy. half of half of, of the credited artists on the song, along with Blaster Jacks. That's Blaster J A X X, all one word. Blaster Jacks. West Tennessee Diamond Jacks, but. Uh, <laughs> They, um, you know, I thought that was cool when he came in. And then when Diaz, you know, he does a slow walk into the get to the mound. Of course, uh, we'll talk, you know, a little bit about, you know, walk up music and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, I, I thought it was fun. It was cool. You know, the the Mr. Met and Mrs. Met were in on it. Yeah. So uh, it, it, I thought it was cool. I'm with you. It is fun. And what is cool to me is seeing things like that go viral. Right. Anything that Major League Baseball can do to get the attention of fans out of the market or even casual fans, the video of him coming in, the crowd getting into it, that stuff connects with people that aren't diehard baseball fans and that helps grow the sport. So I'm 100% totally for it, but I won't take an opportunity to not knock down some Mets fans. And I'm going to say this the performance where that trumpet player showed up and it was actually there live, I thought the Mets fans dropped the ball big time. Because if you look at the footage around the ballpark, every person is on their damn phone recording it instead of clapping or screaming or making noise. And I don't understand why everybody has to capture it on their phone. One, the TV cameras at the park are going to do a better job of doing it. If they're not going to do it, somebody else at the ballpark is going to capture that footage better. You know what you could do as a fan to contribute to the scene? Cheer, clap, make noise. Kind of annoying to me that people in the moment here they have to capture it on their phone instead of actually being present and cheering and making noise at the ballpark. I think of in my baseball fandom, even though this is a fictional movie, wild thing coming in in major league as a kid, that was like, wow, if you ever make it to the majors and you want to be a relief pitcher, 
that's what you do. Not the jail thing, right? But coming into the <laughs> ball game, crowds going nuts, everybody's into it. Nobody's on cell phones, Jeremy, in Major League. These Mets fans, put your damn phone down. Someone else is going to capture it. Cheer for your closer. Because one, he is nasty, phenomenal pitcher. And two, be in the moment. So that's my criticism of Mets fans. But I love it. I love everything about it. I just wish the fans could, you know, put the phone down for a minute. Who, who doesn't love the scene of Wild Thing coming in yeah. and a spotter up in the press box says, oh, God, it's Wild Thing. Crank it and shoves the cartridge yeah. into the the uh, the stereo. Uh, a little dated as far as the technology. But like you said, like I said, like we both said, walk in music is part of the mystique of the game. And for the closer coming in, you know, in between innings where there's time to let the music run and the fans have time to really appreciate it. It's a great part of the game. And I'd like the Cubs. I'd like the Cubs to have a closer, a worthy, worthy of that. And to have real good music like that. Jeremy pointed out they had Kimbrel with sweet child of mine. When they first got the sound system in and they first put the video boards in, they had painted black as the, the ninth inning music. And that was good, but it was not exclusive to the closer of the era, Hector Rondon. It was whomever was coming in to pitch the ninth had painted black playing for them. I'd like the Cubs to develop a closer in the long term for baseball reasons, but I'd also like him to have really good entrance music so that we can enjoy moments like that at Wrigley. Yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. And it is fun when it goes viral and all that stuff as well. One other thing on this point, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about music and other distractions at the ballpark here in just a second. But one thing I would like to see, and I have said this in the past, is one Cub to think about Wrigley Field, think about the history of that ballpark, and choose to have the organist play their entrance music or their walk-up music. And my memory, and I'm going to have to look this up afterwards, but I recall an interview, and I think it was Mike Fontenot. This was before the Cubs did walk-up music at Wrigley Field. And they asked him, hey, what would be your theoretical walk-up song? And he said, whatever it is, I want Gary Pressey playing it on the organ. If I'm a Cub, if I'm a closer, get the, whatever the song is. It could be a, a current song. It could be a classic rock song. Let the organist play it. That would be awesome. That would be distinctly Wrigley Field, and I do hope that happens. Just plant that seed with one of these young guys. They'll embrace it, and I think it would be a huge hit at Wrigley. Put the uh, put the fear of God in the other team. Have the organist play the funeral march when your closer comes in from the bullpen. Just just go completely dark with it, and then strike out the side for the win. I love I thought, the strike out the side there. Yeah, yeah, strike out the side definitely. I thought about this the other day um, when I was at the game, and I heard it playing. Uh, if I was a starting pitcher, I would go with jump. Yeah, Van Halen. Oregon and I'm not even a big Van Halen original. guy. No, the original, because they played it in the original. And <laughs> I would sure. want to run it, everybody running onto the field to jump. Because I heard jump at the ballpark the other day in like the fifth or sixth inning. And I was like, eh, they got to play this at the start of the game. And I'm thinking, well, if you're the starting pitcher, it's the only time, right? So you got some one starting pitcher has to play jump. Yeah, I've I've thought about this before. I'll give my answer in a second. Ronan, if you were any kind of ball player, what yeah. would your entrance music be? You know, it would probably be uh, Chest Fever by the band, but it would be on the organ. And that song is highlighted by Garth Hudson, just just reaming it on the keys. So uh, that's probably where I'm going to go, but a song by the band. But the most important thing is, even if it's not Wrigley Field, I want the organ playing it. And not every park has a live organist looking at you, Coors Field, across <laughs> the street, but the parks that do, that's part of the draw. And I know the guys that are doing it for the Cubs are more than capable of holding that down. I do know that if I were a relief pitcher and, you know, I'd like to be a closer, that's where all the glory is. I would come into the ball game to the first 60 seconds of the Ghostbusters theme. Oh, good wow. build. Yep. Good build. <laughs> good hook. 
you get the fans involved. I think that would play real well in a, a nice full ballpark, hoping to see a scoreless inning for the win. I think that would yeah, build then, real well. And then you're going to walk the leadoff man and hit the next guy, give up a three run homer and get well, your he, ass boot off the he field. Would, he would have to do it in the 10th inning, right? To bust the ghosts. Ghost runner. Well, see that's that's uh, oh uh, yeah, bust bust the the guy who put the, the put put the runner there. See, I'm, I'm, as a closer, you gotta have a short memory. You gotta yeah. go out there and you bust your ghosts every time you're on the field. Uh, so I, I think that would work real well, and I'm more than willing to edit like a 60 second cut and play it for our uh, play it oh, for our it. audience in some future oh, yeah. episode, and they can hear they can hear what I hear. So we'll uh, over the off season. I think maybe we'll work that in as a segment as your uh, your, your preferred walk-in music and how it would work. We also need PA announcing you coming into the game. Yeah, yeah. we'll uh, we'll we'll see if Pep Rocky will do it for us. Well, they're both very active. The primary organist and uh, uh, the PA uh, broadcaster too. Very very popular on social media, and I think they're both awesome. I mean, you're to take on that job, especially the organist job, where you're you're taking over for one of the greatest organists in the history of pro sports amazing to carry that legacy on and it has been seamless the pa too there have been multiple people that have done public address at wrigley field in our lifetimes they all sound the same they just have that voice down and it sounds like wrigley field and that's a really cool thing in there uh let's talk a little bit about some proposed mlb rule changes by the time you're listening to this this will have been voted on and some of these will have passed some haven't although the three that we're highlighting here today are most likely to be approved and implemented for next year i want to go rule by rule get your thoughts do you like it not like it and then maybe at the end we can kind of zoom out a little bit here but probably the biggest one is the implementation of a pitch clock which would be coming to major league baseball a couple bullet points on that front you're looking at about 30 seconds between batters the catcher must be set and ready to go with nine seconds to go on that 30 second clock the batter must be ready to go meaning two feet in the batter's box at the eight second mark otherwise the uh, pitcher could be penalized with a ball being thrown into the mix there. Uh, pitchers still have the ability to step off if there's a man on base. However, they can't do that more than two times per at bat. So right here, pitch clock, major leagues. Jeremy, like or don't like this new rule? I like. I like a lot. I, it's going to be complete mess next spring training, probably even to the early season. <laughs> and it's going to be arguments. You're going to get all these old guys, probably your Max Scherzer types, whoever angry old guys are not going to be able to handle it. Um, haven't been in it, but I like it. You know, let's get to the game. Let's move on. And I like, I actually like the pickoff move uh, rules because like, Hey, it's going to increase stolen bases. Yeah. It might even increase more pickoffs because after two times are they're calling them disengagements, right? If you go over a third time and you don't get the out, then the, it's an automatic balk. So you imagine, wow. you imagine after two times, if you're on first, you're probably taking a bigger lead, which might actually work against you because the guy might go over a third time and get you out. So I think it's going to create more action. So I'm actually in favor of all of this. Let's let's get the show on the road. Let's let's not have all these step offs. You know, fixing your batting gloves, everything. Let's let's get it. And it's going to be a mess, but I hope we stick <laughs> through it. And we don't just listen to all the players and coaches bitching about it and we hold our guns, but I like it. Yeah, I do think it's drastic. I do think it's going to pretty drastically change the the interplay between the batter, the catcher and the pitcher. But I'm I'm for it. I think it's one of those things that a season from now, we're not even going to notice it. It's just going to ingratiate itself pretty seamlessly seamlessly and I, I think a season from now we're not even going to notice it's there and we're going to go pitch clock what pitch clock it's just going to be 
it's just going to be in the background. We're not even going to notice. So I'm, I'm not against it. I, I don't think it'll be as bad as maybe some players might be worried. I think we'll adjust pretty quickly after, as Jeremy said, uh, maybe a messy adjustment period. And I think it'll probably be okay. Well, you know, it's not a lot of things that players and umpires get to argue about anymore, even managers and uh, umpires get to argue about anymore with instant replay and all that. It a lot like think about Don Zimmer just blowing up at home play. You just don't really get a ton of that anymore. So, yeah, to that point, it may add to it. Little things like this will pick up the pace of the game. It will shorten the length of games without taking away from the integrity of baseball. And I do think pitchers are a little too slow. And this is a guy who grew up with Steve Traxel, right? But I think that there's a little bit too much downtime that let's keep things moving. Let's get some action going. That's going to be good. And ultimately, I'm with you both. People aren't going to be worrying too much about this in a year or two years. And people will notice, I hope, an improvement in the quality of the length of the games. And one thing I do like about this that I'm not sure Randall's going to like about this, but uh, first of all, none of these things are going to be reviewable, it seems like. And number two, it's all up to the umpire discretion. So we're going to have some power-hungry, power-tripping umpires that will be like 30 seconds, let's go, or whatever, on the clock. And you can't you can argue with them, but it's not reviewable. So I think maybe it'll make it slower because we'll have more arguments, but I think it's going to bring more action, and I'm going to enjoy that from an umpire standpoint. I will say this, uh, as much as I don't have too big of an issue with this rule change or the other two that we're going to discuss, I do, as always, worry about implementation. I don't think MLB has a ton of benefit of the doubt. I don't think the umpires have a ton of benefit of the doubt. And I do worry anytime you give the umpires more responsibility based on subjectivity, you increase the odds of them just royally screwing it up. So the rules on their face, I don't necessarily have a huge problem with. I am, as ever, worried about implementation on the part of some of the heads of lettuce who pass as MLB umpires. Uh, it's going to be fun. Uh, Jeremy, I love your point about the beginning of next year in spring training, especially those veteran pitchers. Imagine John Lester up on the mound, right? And uh, uh, C.B. Buckner is there saying, come on, throw the ball. All right, that's a ball. <laughs> John Lester's head would have blown off on the pitcher's mouth. It's a shame we're not going to get to see that. Oh, I like Scherzer. I feel like Scherzer, like Verlander, all these veteran pitchers, they're going to be there next year. They've been in the league for, you know, 20 years that have, you know, their hard, hard asses or whatever, hot heads. They are going to, it's going to be, they're going to test every limit of these rules and yep. they're going to go after it like early in the year and they're going to be bitching like crazy. And I, I'm going to enjoy it in spring training. And, you know, related to the pitch clock, walk-up music for batters will be capped at 10 seconds. So we had that chat a second ago, you know, what would your music be? It's going to be a little bit shorter moving forward. Uh, Charlie Blackman may have a little bit of a problem with that. It's a big draw at Coors Field. He's got Your Love, the outfield, Randall, you know that song. The crowd gets into it. First time he comes up, people are a little bit quiet. By the sixth inning, everyone's been drinking for a few hours. Park is screaming as he walks to the batter's box. That's going to get lost a little bit in the mix here, but they're trying to cut down clearly on downtime and speeding things up, whether it's between innings or when the pitcher is on the mound. And all of this, again, is in an effort to make the games a little bit faster and to make it move a little bit more. Less downtime, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And the other thing that I thought was interesting, kind of along those lines, was like anything that like causes like an on-field delay between innings that you know they give out some whatever that has that's now subject to major league uh, the players union approval like the players union has to approve they a team just can't like you know do something that's going to take longer than two minutes and 15 seconds in the middle of an inning and so i i just think that's interesting they're gonna like that now there's another step it's not just gonna like happen so they're clearly trying clearly trying as you say to cut down on all the downtime 
the MLBPA is going to have to approve Dinger's seventh inning dugout dance at Coors Field. They're going to have to start timing him with a stopwatch saying, Dinger, you've had your time. Get off the stage. Well, I'm a little bit disappointed, actually. They've really reeled back Dinger the last two years or so. Uh, less time up on the board. There is a funny thing, though, that the Rockies do, and I'm not I'm generally not for distractions or things on the video board. But what they do is they show a, a tiny sliver of a photo. And you've got to guess, is it a player's beard or is it bare hair, right? So you get a little sliver, you see some type of fur or something, then you got to decide, okay, is that Charlie Blackman or is that a bear up at Rocky Mountain National Park? Crowd goes nuts during the bear or beard segment. So a little bit creative here for the Colorado Rockies. This next rule change is probably the biggest fundamental change in terms of rules here. Although there'd be some baseball purists that will say you're going to implement a clock into baseball, that's pretty big fundamental change. This pertains though to defensive shifts and the new rule would state that at the time of release of the pitch, defensive teams must have four infielders with at least two feet inside of the dirt. So you can still sort of creep in on the corner infields, but you gotta basically have four infielders in the infielder. I'm talking third to first, obviously not talking about the pitcher or the catcher, although we know where they need to be, right? The other thing with that is at the time of release, you have to have two defenders to the left of second base, two defenders to the right of second base. Jeremy, this is a massive rule change in baseball history because other than making sure guys are in fair territory, other than the catcher, you could put guys pretty much wherever you want to. What do you think? Good rule change or is this an overreach from Manfred and Major League Baseball? Yeah, I'm on the fence more with this one. I don't know if it's good rule change, I, I but I'm willing... I'm kind of willing to like try it. I know they've tried it in lower levels and they've, and I think the Atlantic league and maybe double a this year or high single a, I'm not exactly sure which, which league they tried it in. And I feel like I'm willing to try it. Like, you know, you want more action, you want more offense. I don't know if it's a solution. Cause I feel like the issue really is strikeouts. So not, that doesn't, this doesn't solve that, but I'm willing to like see how this goes. And if it's terrible and it doesn't work or it doesn't change anything, then I feel like, okay, we can, you can kind of change it back in a year or two or, you know, however I, I, I so I'm willing to see it. I'm, I'm on the fence, but I'm not like an, a purist anti, I hate it, whatever. Like, cause sometimes the game needs to be made better. And sometimes it takes changes. Like other, le- other leagues change their rules all the time. You could do certain things defensively, whatever you could have to play certain guys, certain weird uh, spots. So I don't see that as like a huge issue for baseball, but I, I don't know if it's going to actually solve the problem, which is my fear. You know, I'll be the contrarian here. I'm not really a fan of this. It it feels like MLB is saying, look, you teams have found a way to exploit these tendencies on the part of the hitters. We're not going to let you exploit these tendencies anymore. It feels like artificially leveling the playing field by not allowing teams to employ a certain strategy. I'm really not for it. I think the best hitters are the ones who have learned to go the other way, which is very difficult. I'm not saying any hitter can simply hit the ball the other way. And I think there are some really, really drastic shifts that are okay to maybe regulate, but it just seems silly that you're telling teams, no, you can't put your shortstop in short right field against a, a dead pole left-handed hitter. It just seems silly. It just seems like you're you're trying to regulate strategy. And I think the more you try and regulate that strategy, the, the more the rules just be, end up overbearing. I'll probably get over it. It may not be as bad as I'm expecting, but I'm honestly not for this. I'm with you, Randall. Uh, I don't love this on the surface. I'm willing to be proven wrong. Maybe at this point next year, we're going to be saying, wow, there's so much more action and and uh, more balls getting hit into gaps and things that it is frustrating 
watching a game and you see your batter just rip a ball to right field and you're like, oh, that's at least a single. If it gets down, maybe double or even a triple depending on where it falls. And then the shortstop is standing where Sammy used to stand and they make the catch and it's over. It's like, what the hell's going on here? But, you know, good hitters can go the other way. They'll find a way to get on base. So on the surface, I don't love this. We'll see it in action. Uh, There's nothing saying that they can't come back from this rules change and evolve all the time but this is the one of the main three rule changes here that i'm not a particularly big fan of and we'll see how it plays out next year third one bases the bases are going to get bigger they're still going to be square shaped randall they'll go from 15 inches to 18 inches jeremy a few minutes ago you were saying pitch clock and some of those rule changes might lead to more base stealing this might too. The bases are literally going to be bigger, so the space between each bases is going to be shorter. And as you know, so many plays in baseball are bang, bang, super close. This could be an advantage for a base runner for sure. Yeah, I, I, I like this rule change. Um, bigger bases, as you say, they'll be shorter. Shortens the distance between, you know, first and second or second and third or, you know, third or home uh, a little bit. So I, I like it. And a bigger base, more room for, you know, a runner to get their hand in or whatever. Um, one thing I do think, like, as if we're going to make the bases bigger as a rule change, why not, you know, kind of solve this whole problem we have at first base with the runner's lane? Just add another base there, you know, just put a base right, like, kind of like, you know, there's a base in, in play and a base kind of out of play, a running base that you could run through and that the runner doesn't have to worry about what lane he's in. He just runs to the base. And the, the, that's my opinion, If we're because we're talking about making the bases larger. But I like the rule regardless of making the base larger. And I think that will also create more action. Yeah. The amateur versions of, of this sport and amateur versions of softball have part of the first base bag in foul territory to take away that issue. That's neither here nor there, but it is accurate. Just the same. I'm okay with this. I think it's another thing that a year from now, we're not even going to notice anymore. We're going to see the stolen base numbers go up and we're going to correlate the two probably accurately. Uh, again, if I have any issue with this, it does feel like MLB trying to, juice base runners the way that we know they juiced the baseballs and i just don't know that i trust this league leadership to tinker at all but if i get past that and i can for the most part get past that i don't really have a problem with it we'll see stolen bases go up that will be more interesting stolen bases are fun and i think a year from now we're not even going to notice it anymore the one thing i would say and i know we put this all under mlb and whatever but these are like Theo Epstein's brainchild. He's the guy who's like in charge of this. So I, I kind of put my faith in Theo a little bit. Who's been out there all over going on podcasts, whatever, asking people, you can see him all the time. Like, this is what we want. This is like our goal, even taking blame for the way baseball is being played. Like, you know, I, I'm the cause of why this all is the way it is. So I kind of trust Theo because he kind of knows what baseball fans want. And if he's willing to put these, these rules in, I, I'm, I'm with Theo on this. All right, Theo, I'm, I'm putting my trust in you. Just get it right. Uh, I will say if there's one other benefit to the larger bases, one of my biggest frustrations with replay is when a guy is clearly safe at a base and then they overslide the bag by a half an inch or their foot comes up for a fraction of a second. It, it, it doesn't seem in line with what the rule is intended to be. And it's sort of a byproduct of these high def cameras all over the park. Well, if the surface area of the base is bigger, you think that will also be an advantage for the base runner because they're going to have more area to work with and potentially stay on the base. They're not necessarily sliding off the bases often and then ruled out. So I think that's a net win. If there's one other rule change I'd like to see happen here, it actually pertains to instant replay. I still think the process is way too slow. 
I think it takes way too long to go to instant replay. I'm not saying we need to get rid of instant replay, but you have to be able to streamline this process quicker. And I think it would behoove both the umpires and Major League Baseball. I think there's middle ground in there. Hire a fifth full-time umpire, right? That's more jobs for Major League Baseball umpires. Put them in the press box or put them in New York full-time and have them proactively be watching these plays so that they've got a decision before the umpire even makes the call. They've got a pretty good idea whether or not it's going to be safe or out. So whatever they can do here, because it is, it's boring as hell when you're at a ball game and you're sitting through while there's all this action and you've got to sit through a five-minute break despite the fact that we're looking at the video board and we can see that the guy is safe. So maybe that will come with time, and that would also speed up the games a little bit too because that's a type of dead air or dead time during a ball game that just sucks the life out of the ballpark. Umpires proactively watching baseball. What a novel concept that would be. I just I think-, think that you can satisfy both ends here. You can give more jobs to umpires, and you can also speed up the process and hopefully get more calls right along the way. I think I want to say college football has, this season has kind of instituted something like that where they have like hmm. quick reviews or something like that, where they do have like an umpire like or a referee kind of doing something. I, if I recall from last weekend, of course, the game I watched, there was a huge bad call and bad replay call. Game? I believe the uh, Indiana University oh, won that game. Yeah. Okay. I'm just saying cool. there was a bad call. I'm not <laughs> saying that the team didn't win and they didn't, you know, win fair and square, but I'm just saying there was a bad call in that game. Well, I, I uh, wasn't able to watch most of it. Had uh, some other things going on at the weekend. But, man, those are two bad football teams that played in the Big Ten opener there. Uh, but the Hoosiers got the best of them this year, at least. We talked about some major league rule changes, some news in the minor league front as well. Randall, labor-related news in the minor leagues. Will they be unionizing? What's going on here? All right. So we have some uh, fairly significant developments in sports labor in as in our week hiatus the major league baseball players association the mlbpa has taken the necessary steps to start helping the minor leagues to unionize it started with the mlbpa uh sending all of the minor league players union authorization cards and the threshold for that they needed 30 percent of those cards signed and returned in the affirmative to prompt an election tony clark the uh, MLBPA director estimates that they are already well over that. He estimates they're around 50% already approved, and there are uh, some still some precincts reporting in the vernacular. So he estimates they are well over that threshold. And once it is approved by a suitable majority of minor league players, they would then become unionized members of the MLBPA. They don't, will not have a separate union. They will be under the MLBPA umbrella, and they will be recognized as members of that union by the National Labor Relations Board, who will force MLB to recognize them as members of this labor union. And once that is the case, minor league baseball players will be able to collectively bargain for salary, for uh, living conditions, for all the things that we have been saying for years, minor league baseball players have been lacking. So So this is the first step in what is probably going to be a a fairly long and drawn out process, but it is an excellent first step and a necessary first step to get minor leaguers a living wage and suitable living conditions as mandated by a labor negotiation. So it's the first step in a long process, but the first step has been taken and they are well on their way to hopefully getting those getting those agreements and making life better for minor league baseball players, not just for them, but for generations of minor league baseball players to come. So this is a big step. We're very happy to see them take it. People have been advocating for minor league labor for years now, and it seems like it's finally 
paying off tangibly. So good for them, good for the people who have been advocating this. And I look forward to seeing where it goes. Yeah, I mean, if you're being literal about the people, the whole advocacy for MLBPA or ML Marleyers, all those guys were hired by the MLBPA. So that's right. The, the advocates for minor leaguers Twitter account uh, and the organization that has been advocating for these minor leaguers, they were offered positions within the MLBPA and all of them took it and are no longer members of this organization because they are working for the professional labor body who will be representing these players. So people who've been working tirelessly on this front, they are seeing fruits of their labor. The minor league players will see improved living conditions. This is unequivocally a good thing. It's the start of a long process, but this is a necessary first step. It's it, it I, I agree with you. I think it's a good thing for the minor leaguers. They, you know, they're the ones who get sold out the most, obviously, during collective bargaining and everything. The one thing I do see coming from this is uh I will not be surprised that you know we're gonna get these leaked articles and reports, you know, that we just got two, three years ago about how uh you know minor league baseball, you know, it's an archaic, outdated system. And that really you only need like 30, 40 prospects on your complex league. Uh, and, and, and that's it. You can just train them there. You don't need, you don't need five minor league teams playing 150 games a year. You don't need that. That's, that's not good for minor league baseball. So I, I do see major league baseball pushing back on this and trying to maybe, you know, not, I think they have agreements through 2030, but sometime after that, you know, trying to eliminate a few minor league baseball teams. Oh, absolutely. Major League Baseball is already lighting their their beacons of Gondor. They're already activating John Heyman and their other sleeper agents in the media. They will absolutely push back on this. They will absolutely push just an awful narrative through these mouthpieces. But I think the smartest people know who to ignore and who is willing to unequivocally and uncritically rebroadcast who's talking points at this point. I, I do think we've wised up correct, collectively to this. So I'm, I'm hoping it's not going to sway anybody um, in a position to be swayed. Well, people I, will be swayed. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know about swaying people necessarily. Like There will be some swaying. Major League Baseball is going to have a lot of their own agency here. Like, it, I don't, it, I don't, not talking really about talking points. I'm talking about like the fact that they're going to actually want to probably eliminate major league minor league baseball teams and they could probably end up find ways to do that and that's not just necessarily talking points those are actions and that's yeah. one thing that scares me i'm not that that's i'm not saying like they shouldn't unionize because it's a good thing obviously they're gonna fight for everything whatever um not saying i'm just saying that's a fear i have of of actually coming to fruition plenty of animosity between players and owners and plenty of money to go around so we'll see how all that stuff shakes out speaking of minor leaguers randall you got a couple in mind right now let's start with a slugger yes so checking back in on the hot name in the cub system right now none other than matt mervis mash mervis as uh any number of outlets are calling him and i, I rather like that as a nickname that's pretty good uh, he is the first Cubs minor leaguer since one Chris Bryant in the 2014 minor league season to drive in 100 runs in a season. And that's not easy in a minor league season. Fewer games, a uh, little different schedule. The runners on ahead of you may not necessarily be uh, uh, the best base runners or the best on base guys. So that's not easy to drive in 100 RBI in a minor league season. And Matt Mervis has done it. His slash line for the season sits at a robust 310 batting average, 372 on base, 604 slugging. That is good for a 976 OPS. He's hit 30 home runs, 37 doubles, and he's up to 107 RBI in this minor league season. Very looking forward to seeing him on that Cubs big league roster next season. 
Real quick, Brennan Davis, the top outfield prospect, he is healthy after that back surgery. He was anticipated to be out for the season. He is healthy. He has worked his way back up through rehab. He is back with Iowa, and he is playing the outfield. So he's not under any defensive restrictions after that back surgery. And then we'll check in on one prospect down at uh, South Bend. He has made the jump from Myrtle Beach this season. That is 22-year-old third baseman B.J. Murray. He's hitting at a 284 clip. He's getting on base at a 410 clip. He has 60 walks to 76 strikeouts in 303 at-bats this season. He's got a little bit of power, eight home runs and 18 doubles. And as I said, he is a third baseman. So an interesting guy to watch. He was just drafted last season. Another guy who clearly has some very useful skills, very useful tools as a baseball player. Another very interesting player to watch. Only downside, if downside it is, he's a little old for the level, 22 year old, 22 years old playing at South Bend. But if you can advance quickly, that becomes a lot less of an issue. So that is this week's Prospect Corner, checking back in on Matt Mash Mervis, checking back in on Brennan Davis, and then checking in on BJ Murray, third baseman for the South Bend Cubs. Yeah, good stuff there. Lots to be excited about on the farm and still a couple weeks of minor league baseball to go. They had the late start this year. They're pushing up until the start of October. This is our 82nd podcast. This is not a popular number in Cubs history. Our friend CubsByTheNumbers.com, Casey Ignarski. And before I mention this, if you want to laugh, check out Casey Ignarski's Twitter account. He was not happy with Rowan Wick today, and I saw that come across the feed. I laughed out loud. He didn't mean what he said. I don't believe that, but it had me laughing anyway. 82, Randall, this is not a popular number, but it's a current number with the Cubs. It is. There is, in fact, one member of the coaching staff currently wearing number 82, and that, of course, is Johnny Washington. If you don't know Johnny Washington, you should know Johnny Washington, But who? because who doesn't know Johnny Washington? He is one of the coaches on the staff on the offensive side. He is the only individual to wear number 82 as a uniformed member of the Chicago Cubs in the regular season coach or player. Uh, so you, again, we're going to get this a lot with a lot of these numbers in the eighties where there's only going to have been one or two wearers. And one of them was probably a coach that is our single number 82 wearer in Cubs history, coach Johnny Washington of the current Chicago Cubs coaching staff under David Ross. All right, guys, just a couple minutes to go. I wanted to shift gears totally and end on this, this Sunday, the Chicago Bears open the 2022 season, their 103rd National Football League season. Win total. Randall, how many dubs for the Bears this fall? I'm going to give them seven wins this year. I don't think they're going to be nearly as bad as we think. I think a new coaching staff and a competent coaching staff is going to do wonders. I think the defense is going to be a lot better than anticipated. I'm going to call this Bears team uh, a seven-win Bears team. Uh, I think, and I haven't actually poured through like in depth looking at the schedule, but I think uh, this undefeated three and zero Bears preseason team, I think, is going to end up maybe winning one more game than that, and that's four games in the regular season. Wow! Yeah, I uh, was thinking five. So none of us are too optimistic about the Bears this year. I was mm-hmm. at a uh, party on Monday, and there was a, a big Cubs fan there, uh, Bears fan, and I pulled him aside and I said, "All right, man, he had Bears hat on actually," and I said how many wins this year? And he goes, I think nine. And I went, wow. And he goes, oh, you think more? I go, no, no, (laughs) not. I think it's going to be a rough, rough year for the bears. Uh, It starts this weekend with San Francisco. They go to green Bay. Woof. And uh, some tough games up and down the slate there. Uh, Totally random question for you all here. I'm, I'm throwing you under the bus here. What it's the season hasn't even started yet, but the ESPN lists the Bears schedule. Their secondary market partner is a website called vividseats.com. 
Where do you think the cheapest Bears ticket is this year? And I give you a hint. It's not a home game. It's a road game. So going into the season, what do you think is the cheapest ticket? And I'm not asking the price. I'm asking the opponent for the Bears this year. I'm surprised. Cheapest ticket, and you're surprised. I'm surprised, yeah. I'm thinking, well. Lots hmm. of factors go into the stadium size, when the game gets played, all that. I'm going to say, and I haven't really looked that hard at the schedule when the game gets played, but I know they're going to New England. So I'm going to say New England. As the cheapest ticket. Well, you're surprised. And what would be okay. more surprising than New England having the cheapest ticket? Well, I'm, and, I, I did have to look up the Bears schedule because I had no clue where they were going uh, on the road this season. I am going to guess the uh, I'm going to guess the New York Giants. Uh, no, the New York Jets. Thirty two mm. bucks to get into the game. New York Jets second cheapest at Dallas. And I think a big part of that is the massive stadium they've got in Dallas. Uh, most expensive ticket coming into the season. It's not this weekend with San Francisco. Mm. It's not this weekend in San Francisco. No. You'd think opening day, good weather, that could do it. Season's not over yet, right? It'll be over at about 3 p.m. on Sunday. But what do we think is the most expensive ticket? Packers, home versus Packers. Yeah, good call. Week 13, December 4th, Bears, Green Bay. Oh, let's hope, uh, well, whatever. Hey, We'll see how they do this year. Five every, wins, boys. I think every, I read some stat, and I don't know if it's since, I think it was like something like the last eight Bears first-year head coaches won at least one game against the Packers their first year. Although, to be fair, Dicka didn't play the Packers in his first year because of the strike, but he did win his first game against the Packers with the Bears in the second year. Good stuff. So how about that? Beat Green Bay. Beat Green Bay. Well, you know, we're talking about the size of the stadium down in, uh, down in Arlington. Bears presenting to the Arlington Heights community tonight what they intend to potentially, or what they are considering doing. Of course, it's not a, a, a guarantee of any kind of development. What they are considering doing with all of that land on the site of the former uh, Arlington racetrack. So coming in uh, 10, 15 years or so is uh, McCaskey land out there in Arlington Heights on the site of the former racetrack. Well, I'm going to say something. I hope it comes and I hope it's not McCaskey land. I hope it's, it's yeah. new owner land. Is new what owner I land. Cuban land. It's going to yeah. be a new owner land, and it's going to be a lot sooner than 10 or 15 years. Uh, the Bears will be out of Soldier Field in five years. Ooh. The earliest so they can break the, the lease is 2026. Yeah. I, I firmly believe they will opt to do that. Yes. Breaking yes. the lease to get out. Oh, breaking yeah. The and uh, they are going to print some money out there in Arlington Heights. I just hope somewhere in that giant parcel of land, there's a statue of a horse that we can remember what used to be there. We can pay tribute to the site it used to be. And maybe the horse next to a little slot machine. And uh, that can sort of symbolize what used to be on that plot. plot well, there'll definitely hear be me, gambling there. Hear me out. Hear me out. The statue has a slot machine built into it. It's, yeah. There's just like a slot machine <laughs> built into the base. You can, just put, so you can just put dimes into the base of the statue and pull the lever. And put some of the McCaskies on the back of the horse and everybody wins, right? Yeah. So we'll see where it goes with that. Uh, we'll be back after the Cubs go to New York. Hopefully they can mess up the Mets' hopes to win a National League East division title. We'll be back number 83 next time. Jeremy Randall, good stuff, guys. We are on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. See you next time.